You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Everything that God has called us to as a church to accomplish, he's provided gifted people and he's provided among the congregation more than enough resources to do anything he's called us to do. Are you with me? I mean, that's just, I think, the truth from this passage and others. Pastor Chuck used to say, where God leads, God feeds. Oftentimes in the church, finances are a struggle. There are so many amazing opportunities that we can put money into. Missionaries, charity organizations, and many other institutions can benefit from giving. But finances can be tight. So what do you do? In today's message, Pastor Danny will encourage you to give faithfully. Without true sacrifice and need, how can we expect God to do miracles? Even the smallest amount, if that's all that can be given, means more to God than nothing at all. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Exodus chapter 36 as he continues his message, The Tabernacle, A Completed Work. Now, a lot of churches, I come from Baptist denomination. And let me tell you what, uh, you give money in the Baptist denomination, at least what I was a part of, you can become a board member pretty quickly. Sometimes they view it as that's the most you can do. I mean, if you're a faithful giver, it's like, whoa, you can become a leader in this church. And that's what I used to think. That's what I used to think until the revelation here and other places as well, where God looks down and he says, look, that's not the most you can do. That's the least you can do. Now, if you think I'm setting you up, my responsibility is to teach the text. I went to the workshop Alistair Begg did at our 6-4 Fellowship National Conference out in Colorado, and he did a great workshop. And and one of his points that I took home, I already knew the point, but boy, it was great to get it reiterated, and it was just fresh in my mind. And he talked about the responsibility, and his whole workshop was on uh, preaching and teaching the Word of God. And one of the points he made, he he pulled a a whiteboard out, uh, and he drew uh, a box, and he put an F in it. And he said, this stands for framework. He says, every preacher, every teacher has a framework to their message. Then below it, he put another box and he put a T in it. And he said, this is a T for the text. And he said, a lot of times, somebody's framework will be larger than the text. And he gave examples of that. Theological persuasions where you limit the text by the framework of your theology. And so you're not going to teach the text sometimes for exactly what the text says. 
I didn't have this in my notes. I guess I'm just using this and it came to me. But listen, listen. He said, what you want always is a big T and a little F. You want to find out what the text says. I heard him again the other day in a message, and he was saying uh, how sometimes you go to a Bible study, and they'll share a scripture, and then they'll go around, and, and then somebody will say, well, this is what it means to me. And he said, wait a minute. That's not the place to start. What does the text teach? Now, why am I saying that? Well, what I just said about the least we can do in terms of investing in the work of God through the local church that's the least we can do? Go back to our text in Exodus. Go back to Exodus. And now jump over to chapter 35. We started with God saying, I've chosen this guy, filled him with my spirit, given him skill, and he's going to be able to make this. And I've given this guy ability here, and he'll be able to make this. I've given these guys skill, and they'll be able to make those things. So God got all the giftings needed for the work that he wants to do. And then chapter 35, verse 4. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, hides of sea cows, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones, and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastpiece. Where'd they get all this stuff that they now have an opportunity to willingly bring? They got it when they were redeemed, and they got it from Egypt, and Egypt is a type of the world, so this is all of their worldly possessions. And God says, now, from what I gave you from the world, and now I've redeemed you, I want to do something that has a heavenly purpose, and you have an opportunity to give willingly so that my work can be accomplished. Folks, that's the text. That's the text. That's the big T. And I'm just trying to teach the text. You jump down, same chapter, verse 20. Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved and came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting for all its service, for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Everyone who had blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen, or goat hair, ram skins, dyed reds, or hides of sea cows brought them. Those presenting an offering of silver or bronze brought it as an offering to the Lord. And everyone who had acacia wood for any part of the work brought it. Every skilled woman spun with her hands and brought what she had spun, blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen. And all the women who were willing and had the skills spun the goat hair. The leaders brought onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastpiece. The leaders, they made more money. They brought according to what they had. They brought these gems. They also brought spices and olive oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord freewill offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. Jump down, verse 30, or chapter 36, verse 2. Then Moses assembled Bezalel and Ohaliab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and was, was willing to come and do the work. They received from Moses... 
All the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing, constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring freewill offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled craftsmen who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left their work and said to Moses, I love this, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. Listen to me very carefully. If I take scriptures like this, and there's other scriptures we could go to, here is the absolute conclusion I have to come to biblically. Everything that God has called us to as a church to accomplish. He's provided gifted people and he's provided among the congregation more than enough resources to do anything he's called us to do. Are you with me? I mean, that's just, I think, the truth from this passage and others. Pastor Chuck used to say, where God leads, God feeds. Where God guides, God provides. That's biblical. Of course, there was one preacher that said to his congregation, I'm confident in the Lord we have everything we need for what he's called us to do. The only problem is it's still in your pockets. <laughs> the least we can do, if I understand the parable of the talents correctly, and I think I do, the least we can do is give. Here's what Paul wrote, just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in your love for us, see that you excel in this grace of giving. Acts 20, 35, we don't have it recorded anywhere in the Gospels that I know of, but uh, it tells us there, the apostles heard Jesus say this, probably on more than one occasion, and it's told in Acts, Acts 20, 35, that the Lord said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. I think I've grown in the Lord because I just don't sweat in giving a message like this. I really don't. I, I just, I'm just going to teach the text. I think, um, I think when you put Scripture with Scripture, it's very clear to me that the standard that God has, this is my strong conviction, strong conviction. It's actually, to me, more than conviction. I think it's just clearly the Word of God. Um, I believe the tithe is the starting standard. Genesis chapter 14, verse 20, Jacob said, if God, you'll be, you'll be my God and you'll take care of me, I'll give you a tenth of all I get. That's before the law. That's before the law. Uh, Genesis chapter 14, uh, that's Genesis 28. Genesis chapter 14 is where Abram gives a tenth to Melchizedek, and Hebrews 7 refers also to Melchizedek, and Melchizedek is Christ, Christ. And so we're giving a tenth to Christ. I don't know how you miss that. Hebrews 7 and Genesis 14, those two scriptures are enough for me to say the tithe is the place to start. Not a place to end, but a place to start. And I just throw in people ask, do I tithe off the gross or off the net? Well, they take taxes out of the gross or out of the net? Out of the gross. That's the wages. Why would you give God any less? I'm going to give him the tenth of what I earned, of what I earned. 
And then you get to Matthew 23, 23, blistering message to the Pharisees and teachers of the law. But Jesus says there, and sometimes we miss this, in verse 23 of that blistering message, he said, you tithe all the way down basically to your salt and pepper. But you've neglected the more important matters of the law. That's another verse that might say, hey, the least you can do is give. You've neglected the weightier matters of the law, but then he said, same verse, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. In other words, he doesn't doesn't say, well, you shouldn't tithe. I understand that was in the economy of the law, but the tithe started before the law. It is my conviction that the tithe is to be given to the Lord through the local church. I can give you a lot of scriptures on that. I'll just give you a couple. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 4. Paul writes, don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas or Peter? What he's talking about is financial support for these guys who became full-time ministers. Or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? He's talking about having a secular job to do full-time ministry. And then you jump down to verse 11. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? Then you jump to verse 14. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Just a logical question. Where's that money coming from? It has to be the offerings of the Lord's people. That's where the money's coming from. First Timothy chapter five, big T, big T. This is the text. First Timothy chapter five, verse 17. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor. And the context and the Greek word is talking about financial remuneration, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. He says they should make more because of their responsibility. And then you go back up to verse 9, and it says no widow may be put on the list of widows unless she's over 60, and it goes through all these uh, prerequisites if they're to be put on a list. The list is a list for full financial support because they don't have family members to support them, or the family members they have aren't willing to support them, and so because they're believing widows and they fit the qualifications, God says the church needs to take care of them. Where's all these monies coming from to pay staff, to send out missionaries, 1 Corinthians, to support widows? It has to be from the offerings of the Lord's people. Now i got other scriptures, and I'm not going to take the time for that, because let's, let's move on. I want, you to, I want you to get the rest of this. Listen. Faithfulness in giving allows God to bless us financially. Proverbs chapter 3, proverb I learned years ago, and I thank God, I thank God that he's allowed me um, to live out this scripture so far my entire Christian life, and I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back, I'm just, I'm just telling you, I, I'm privileged to, that from the time I became a Christian, um, I've obeyed this verse, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, some people say that's the Old Testament stuff. Yeah. Go to the New Testament. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It doesn't get any more plain than this. 
We don't give to get, but you can't outgive God. We don't give to get. That's a wrong motive, but you can't outgive God. Impossible. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10. Listen to what it says. And the whole context, at chapter 8, chapter 9, all this is about giving. Giving. Listen to what it says. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be made rich, get this, in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That's New Testament. God says, you excel in this grace of giving, you will never outgive me. I will increase your seed. I will increase your blessing so that you can continue to bless and continue to give. Faithfulness in giving is a stepping stone to spiritual blessing and usefulness. Some people never get beyond this and, and are really used powerfully by the Lord because they don't get this basic. And Jesus is the one that said it. Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, verse 11. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? You read the context. If you haven't been faithful in the worldly things, in material wealth, in giving to the Lord's work, not going to be used powerfully. It's a stepping stone, according to what Jesus said, if I understand it right, and I think I do. Now, one more thing. I could preach a whole message on this, and I know you're thankful I'm not going to. Learn to give sacrificially. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy, their extreme poverty, welled up in rich generosity. I testify they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Here's what you're going to learn if you're faithful in giving and if you're faithful in tithing. Sometimes uh, people have to start the tithe and it is by faith because if you look on paper, it doesn't make sense. You go, there's no way I can pay my bills if I give God the tithe. But I'll tell you something, and the scriptures back it up, scriptures I've just read. Listen, if you do what you can, God will do, do what you cannot You'll never see a miraculous provision from heaven unless you step out by faith. Never do it. But then once you step out by faith and learn that God is true to his word and true to his promise and that he will take care of you and that he will bless you and he'll give you in time, this is his time, this is his time, more than you need so you can continue to be generous, then don't stop with just the tithe. This is where it gets really exciting. Then you can start to give beyond the tithe. And I'm telling you what, it's just phenomenal to see what God does. Uh, when, he, when you feel the Spirit leads you just by faith, and maybe to give to a missionary, maybe to give to support missionaries, whatever it might be. And, uh, and, and you give sometimes beyond your ability. Now, you got to know the Lord's leading you to do that. But if it's the Lord leading you, oh my goodness. First Kings is a story about the widow of Zarephath, where it's interesting, God says to Elijah, I've commanded a widow to supply for you. But she had to give by faith, not only for her need, but to supply Elijah's need first. She gave to ministry, if you will. She gave to a prophet's ministry to keep his ministry going, keep his life going. And then Mark 12 is the story of the widow 
there at the temple that Jesus took the opportunity to turn to his disciples and he say, you see that widow? She gave all she had to live on. She's given more than everybody else together that put in large amounts. So there are examples of giving sacrificially. Now, I'm going to close with this one. This chapter is called Build the Ark. I'd like to read a little from it. 1948, Korzak... Ziolkowski was commissioned by Lakota chief Henry Standing Bear to design a mountain carving that would honor the famous war leader Crazy Horse. The great irony is that Crazy Horse didn't even allow himself to be photographed. You have to wonder how he'd feel about a 563-foot high statue of himself carved in the granite face of the Black Hills. Ziolkowski invested more than three decades of his life carving the larger-than-life statue that is eight feet taller than the Washington Monument nine times larger than the faces on Mount Rushmore. Since Korzak's death in 1982, the Zielkowski family has carried on their father's vision and continued carving. Their projected date of completion is 2050, just shy of the 100-year mark. 100 years devoted to one task. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? But Crazy Horse falls 20 years short of how long it took Noah to build the ark. If they had named boats back then like they do now, I think holy crazy would have been spot on. Noah's ark project ranks as one of history's largest and longest construction projects. The internal volume of the ark was 1,518,750 cubic feet, the equivalent of 569 boxcars. If the average animal was the size of a sheep, it had the capacity for 125,000 animals. To put that into perspective, there are 2,000 animals from 400 different species at the National Zoo in Washington, D.C. That means you could fit 60 national zoos on board Noah's Ark. Then I jump ahead to the next page, and he says this. When your life is over, the world will ask you only one question. Did you do what you were supposed to do? That's not just a good question, that's the question. Did you do what you were supposed to do? It cannot be answered with words, it must be answered with your life. Noah built the ark because God commanded it. It's what he was supposed to do. Sawing planks and hammering nails were acts of obedience. And when everything was said and done, it was the longest act of obedience recorded in scripture. From start to finish, Noah's one act of obedience took 43,800 days. No matter what tool you use in your trade, a hammer, a keyboard, a mop, a football, a spreadsheet, a microphone, or an espresso machine, using it is an act of obedience. I love the way Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. put it a half century ago. If it falls your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures, like Shakespeare wrote poetry, like Beethoven composed music, Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. And if you miss the point, God's called and he's chosen and he's gifted you and me to be his witnesses in the world, in the workplace, through the church. The least we can do is give to the Lord through the entity of the local church. And the most we can do is go all in. 
I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. for joining us today to study the book of Exodus on the Living Word. You can check out more of Pastor Danny's teaching throughout the Bible at our website, ccfstpete.church. Just click on Sermons. We encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube page as well to stay up to date on the latest teachings and videos, and feel free to share them with your friends and family. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or would simply like to talk with us, please send us an email. Our address is info at ccfstpete.church. Be sure to let us know how we can be praying for you when you send that email. In addition, we'd really like to meet you in person. Come join Pastor Danny for our weekly church services at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We meet on Saturdays at 6 p.m., Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m., and on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We will also be live streaming our services for those who are at home or live further away. We look forward to worshiping with you. Find out more on our website. Once more, that's ccfstpete.church. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We're so glad that you tuned in, and we encourage you to keep reading. There's much more to learn in this study of Exodus, and Pastor Danny will continue exploring this Old Testament book when you join us next time, right here on The Living Word.